Hello, homemakers. You have found the Art of Home podcast, where we are exploring how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. I am your host, Allison Weeks. I am a wife to Nate. I am a mom to four grown kids, and I've been practicing the art of home for over 28 years. If you're new here, welcome. We are so glad you found us. If you're a regular listener, welcome back, and thank you for faithfully tuning in. Your downloads help support our mission, which is to elevate the art of homemaking by encouraging and inspiring homemakers wherever they are in in whatever season they're in to practice the art of home with skill, creativity, intentionality, joy, perseverance, all the things. Now, in today's episode, I'm talking with my friend, Athena Odin, about her homemaking journey, which, by the way, has occurred alongside her career as a pediatric physical therapist and creator of Ready Bodies Learning Minds, which is a physical therapy curriculum and workshop program. She travels all over the United States, training other physical therapists, school staff, and parents to implement her programs, and doing that all while maintaining and running a home and homeschooling her kids. We'll have more info about her program at the end of today's show, so make sure you stick around for that information. But the conversation you're about to hear is where we talk about Athena's love of home, her dedication to maintaining that home as an anchor, because when you're traveling that much, you need to have a strong home base for yourself, for your family members. And then she extends that welcome to friends and neighbors alike. Athena has very intentionally created an environment that embraces others in her home. The tagline for this podcast is how homemakers cultivate a place to belong. You have heard this a lot, and you will certainly hear this idea running throughout the conversation I have with Athena. She uses her home to embrace people wherever they are in life so that they can find a place of comfort and shelter and rest in her home. So whether you're picking up your grocery order, weeding the garden, or folding some towels, soak up as much wisdom as you can about creating a home that embraces while we listen to Athena talk about her practice of the art of home. All right, Athena, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are today? Then we'll go back to the beginning of your homemaker story. Okay, I am the wife of a very loving, tolerant man. For 42 years. Um, mother of three and a new grandmother. Yes. I have a grandson who is eight weeks old. Most beautiful baby in the whole world. Of course he I'm is. Sure, of course he is. <laughs> um, and um, I'm also a pediatric physical therapist, so I am all about kids. I just love being with kids. I'm still working in that career, mm-hmm. still traveling, um, speaking, online courses, um, that type of thing. And um, when I have time, I get to do some of my favorite things which are gardening and decorating. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I enjoy cows and goats. And yes. that's one of my favorite things too. How many cows do you have out here? Oh, right now we're down to two. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. But you've had like a lot in the past, We right? have, but we raise our own beef, so they're not here anymore. Okay. <laughs> Just did some harvesting. All right. Yes. Cool. Okay. So when did you first become a homemaker? Well, I guess if you want to say thrown into it uh, when you're married mm-hmm. at the age of 21 okay, um, and began to set up my own home and thrown into being a homemaker and trying to make a comfortable home to live in and uh, try to cook something for my husband. <laughs> did you have any skills when you started? I did. I My mother actually did teach me some skills. Cooking was one of the things that I kind of had to learn. David actually... 
um, was what they called back then a latchkey kid. His mm-hmm. father had died when he was very young, and he was the oldest of those students, the kids left at home. Yeah. So he had to learn to cook. Okay. Because his mother worked. And see, he was actually a pretty good cook. I had learned holiday cooking. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was easy for me. But everyday cooking, I really had to, really had to kind of learn how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the holiday cooking, I think you'd be more inclined to learn that because that's when it has to be all hands on deck because you're literally cooking all day and mom right. cannot do it all. So that makes sense. Right. All right. Who did you learn from? You said you learned from your mom some things. Was there anybody else in your life? A grandma, aunt? Yes. Anybody? Um, I- Actually, an aunt and a grandmother. It was a great aunt and a grandmother. They were okay. sisters. And I named my daughter after my great aunt, Aww. Margaret Allison. And they were just wonderful people. Uh-huh. Um, they had grown up in a very difficult situation, mm-hmm. but they really made home something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, my aunt was very good at making her home beautiful and welcoming. My grandmother, um, you know, just making a sandwich in the summer for us was a special thing because Mm -hmm. it was a special sandwich and it was arranged just beautifully on the plate. And it just showed us that she valued feeding us and she valued um, taking care of us. And, And it was really special. Did you spend time with her in the summer or were you in the same town? I truly did. We did not... Um, live in the same town. We lived about three hours apart. But in the summers, I would spend at least a month at her Mm -hmm. house, Mm -hmm. um, which was wonderful. So they had a farm and I got to be able to do all that and learn about the cows and and, um, actually spend a whole lot of time with her. She was very artistic and Uh very sweet. Yeah. Well, I can see that definitely rubbed off on you and your artistic style. And I always like to set the stage a little bit for the listeners. Um, Athena's house and you all know if you've been listening, you can go on to the website and you can see some snapshots of her home. And it is truly a work of art. Um, you have collected things and added probably over many years to your collections. And I would say your house is, it's eclectic. It's mm-hmm. rustic, but it's really elegant. Um, I don't know. How have other people described your style? How would you describe your style? Well, you know what? That's what people have said, rustic elegance. And uh-huh. that's kind of what I want it to be. I, I enjoy some elegance and I enjoy pretty things and pretty china. Mm-hmm. But I think that everybody should use the china every day. Absolutely. And I think that we should sit in the elegance every day. And mm-hmm. so we want it to be really comfortable too. We want you yes. to to come in and put your feet on the coffee table. Yeah. And so that's kind of the mix that we went for. Well, I think you've achieved that because it's very comfortable. And I have major envy over your transfer wear collection, I just have to say. (laughs) I mean, I have a lot, but you have a lot, a lot more. Uh, So anyway, I'll try not to steal any pieces on my way out. Uh, I'll check your pocket. (laughs) (laughs) What was the skill that you had the steepest learning curve for? What was the hardest thing for you to learn in homemaking? I think it was cooking. Okay. Um, I think it was uh, outside of holiday cooking. Mm-hmm. My mother had shown me a few things, but I had not spent a lot of time doing that. Went straight off to college, ate a lot of toast and a lot of donuts, <laughs> and uh, ended up marrying and having to provide a family, a couple, with yeah. meals. And yeah. so that was a, a steep learning curve. Yeah. And I tried to jump in and tried to research and tried to learn and do all that kind of thing. And I did did fairly well for 30 years. Mm-hmm. But um, for the last about 12 or 15 years, David has kind of taken over that role mm-hmm. uh, because he's very good at it. And yeah. yeah. And so I'm fine with that. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Cooperation in marriage is That's a wonderful right. thing. <laughs> I like that. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about balance and homemaking. Um, did you ever work outside the home? 
Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I always have. Okay. Um, as a physical therapist, before we had children, I worked full time mm-hmm. in a hospital or a clinic or serving children in in other situations. Um, and then when we had children, I was able to at that point work part time. Okay. So um, from that point forward, I have worked part time and also running my own business mm-hmm. since um, the children were born. The beauty of that is that uh, there's a lot of ways that I can set my own schedule. Sure. So that I can manage about manage being here when I need to be here for the kids. Right. Um, as well as homeschooling. So I homeschooled through all of that, too. Mm, had some help. Had some people help me homeschool where I would work maybe an 18-hour day and then be home the other days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, I'd say recently as in the past 15 years or so, I've been traveling to teach. And so I will go off and travel and teach for three or four days and then come back mm-hmm. and be home for a couple of weeks. So the schedule has allowed me to do that. It's not been easy, yeah, but um, sure. there's some specific challenges that yes, because of that situation. Yeah. Uh, the most specific um, term I can give that challenge is called reentry. Oh, okay. as in um, an astronaut doing a re-entry from circumventing yeah. the globe and it burning <laughs> as they come back in and land at home, and yeah. uh, there's a you know explosions when you walk in the door mm-hmm. and you've been gone three days and uh, re-entry is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband, my career is something that my husband and I really, really prayed about a lot. Mm-hmm. And working with children and some of the things that I do with children, we felt were very helpful for yeah. children. So at a point in his career, he stepped down from his career to stay home and help me build my career. And so he was at home with the children. Mm-hmm. He was helping homeschool when I would go off and teach. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my job as someone who'd been homeschooling for a while to help kind of pre-plan what was going to happen. But sure. when you're gone and you come back, um, it's like re-entering a world that you had put aside for a while. Sure. Because you're in a professional world for three days and you come back and you're in the home world. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's difficult, you know? Yeah. It's difficult. I'm sure that's a challenge that working moms face, even on a daily basis. Yes. Being away all day long and then re-entry back into the home. And now mm-hmm. you're in homemaker mode and mom mode. Um, mm-hmm. So was there anything specific that you can remember that you and your husband did to make that work a little bit better and make it be a little less traumatic for you on pawn re-entry? <laughs> yes. Yes. One of those things was to give me a little time upon mm-hmm. re-entry. I okay. mean, honestly, a lot of times I returned, it was late at night. I'd been teaching all day and in, in an airplane for hours, you know, mm-hmm. and so to have some time to even manage time changes, yeah, um, manage that type of stuff was really helpful. The other thing that was helpful was trying to pre-plan a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pre-plan having a little bit of time to to digest being home. Yeah, and I I mean that may just be you know meet me at the airport and let's go to dinner. Mm-hmm. Let me decompress at dinner at a restaurant. Let's do that and then let's go home. Yeah, those types of things were really helpful. Yeah, were you traveling at this point? Your kids were older when you started traveling. Actually, believe it or not. Um, when I first started teaching and traveling, Austin was still nursing. Oh, really? And so, and he's the youngest. He's the youngest. Right. Uh, the twins at that time, uh, my boy-girl twins at that time, probably would have been about nine to ten years old. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so they would come with me occasionally or they would stay home Mm -hmm. because at that point my husband was still working at his job. And I do remember very distinctly taking Austin with me in a stroller to a location where I had to teach and taking nursing breaks and coming back and teaching and then driving home with, with him in the car. Wow. So, you know, we've we've been doing it for a long time, but I've always tried to make it work around, Mm -hmm. kind of around them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing about that. Did you regularly set goals and priorities? I did not. And, you know, I'm someone that understands how those are important. Mm -hmm. I work on some nonprofit boards. I know Mm -hmm. goals are important. Plans are important. Strategic plans are important. But I could never seem to make it happen for myself. Okay. And um, I tried several times, but I don't really know why that didn't happen. I think it may be that um, even homeschooling, and homemaking is more an art than a science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very hard to put numbers around the art of just trying to um, support people's lives. Sure, yeah. And that's so a great point. It, was, it was very difficult for me to do that. So I tried to be a planner. I, mm-hmm. I planned a bunch of million different ways. <laughs> and then if I got overwhelmed, some of the things I would do would just throw up my hands and go, we're done, mm-hmm. we're finished. Everybody, everybody just dissipated. Everybody disappeared. Let's go do something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that we didn't, and and just gave up on the schedule. Yeah, it and could, I, I could it, lead to burnout. I guess right. if you tried to be a slave to the schedule. Right. And so. it took me. It took me years. I, I say this flippantly, but yeah. it took me years to learn that I needed to do that. Mm. And so that's one of the things I hope to share with younger moms too. Well, that's good. That's good advice. How about? expectations. So when you enter homemaking, you become a homemaker, you know, at the young age of, I think you said 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sometimes bring a lot of expectations into that. And so how well did the the day-to-day reality of homemaking match your expectations or not? Well, you know, we all have our princess picture mm-hmm. of what homemaking is going to look like. Right. And it doesn't look like that. There's a princesses never seem to have laundry. And so it's, <laughs> there's a whole lot more to it than uh, being a princess in a home. Sure. And I, I think the thing that's important is to learn to value that. And again, that took me time. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to learn to value the fact that um, I had the opportunity to wash someone's clothes. Yeah. Value the fact that I had the chance to spend time with someone on the floor while they're playing. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of things, um, like I said, took me years to understand. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's that valuing those moments and valuing those things you do that give those people that are important to you value. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. Okay. We're going to talk about hospitality. Um, how did you intentionally make memories or family traditions? Because when we, when we talk about hospitality, we're talking about everybody thinks about bringing people into your home, but we also show hospitality to one another in the home, mm-hmm. to our people who live here. So how did you intentionally do that with your own family? I'm just going to bring up one of the things that we have developed in our family that has truly just become a real tradition for us, and that's Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, it developed because Christmas was a difficult time for my family growing up, and so it, Christmas was not always an easy, pleasant time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we pulled aside and we created a Thanksgiving in our own home. Yeah. And we invited then all the family that wanted to attend to our home uh, on both sides of the family to come for Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. And 
it was a time when we could really focus on the Lord, focus on Thanksgiving. Uh, we would, some of the traditions are that we'll circle up. There may be 30 of us, mm-hmm. and we'll circle up and go through what we've been thankful for for the day, for the year, for mm-hmm. the day, for the month. Um, there's a lot of laughter, a lot of tears. Um, and it's just a very special time to really get to know cousins and mm-hmm. and sister-in-laws and spend a lot of time together. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving as well is is a time that we can be there for each other and yeah. really support each other and love each other. Um, we're not focused so much on the cultural tradition of gifts and all that type of thing. We're just focused on mm-hmm. focused on each other. So it has become a really really big holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become such a big holiday for both sides of the family that uh, that's pretty much our golden time. Everybody makes sure that they can come no matter where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've invited extended family into it. We've even invited um, our neighbors from time to time to, that will come and spend some time with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that we all cherish. And so I think that's one of the the biggest traditions that we have. I mean, we cook and we play games and we build gingerbread houses because, yeah, Christmas is coming. And so we have these we's big competitions of building gingerbread houses. And everybody from 30 below Mm -hmm. is allowed to build a gingerbread house. And there are competitions. So we have engineers in our family. And then we have five-year-olds in our family. And grandma gets to judge it all. Names are hidden. You know, and so it's a a great competition every year. And it's just a time that we can really spend together, which is something that's hard to find nowadays. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We do gingerbread houses in our family, too. Do you do you like make your own gingerbread or oh, do you no, buy this the, is the, the yeah we kits. well no we don't buy kits this is and there's been a lot of tears i have to admit oh, this okay. so <laughs> what we <laughs> joy and tears in this we would just buy um graham crackers yes uh-huh. and i would go to the store and buy every kind of candy i could imagine we'd put it all we have a very long table that holds about um you know the 12 or 15 mm-hmm. people that are doing that put all kinds of candy up and down the table, mm-hmm. whip up some frosting for them to use as glue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you're going to have some engineers that are going to be able to know how to use that frosting to hold that two-story together. And exactly. then you're going to have some 12-year-olds crying because they're collapsed. But um, <laughs> it's all just a ton of fun. And, and some of the kids have started when they were uh, two and three with their parents helping them. Mm-hmm. And now some of those kids are helping their grown up and their parents and they're helping oh, their own children that's build awesome. it. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I was going to ask, you know, if you've got the 30 year old architect uh, or engineer over here mm-hmm. and the two year old or the 12 year old, when you judge them, do you put them into separate categories? Oh, no. Oh, no. They all go into Oh, they all go together. Okay. It, it's I, a grandma judge. I was going to say, I have a feeling that grandma might. I don't know. She might be partial to the grandchildren. Yeah, she might be. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that tradition. I, I like that you make it into a, a whole family competition thing. I might, I might have to steal that idea. Well, and there are other, other memories, too, that are uh, a little simpler. Um, some of the things that we like to do would, were having picnics in our own yard, mm-hmm. um, just out in the front, or uh, vacations. We've had some incredible vacations, and the memories are more like National Lampoon vacations, <laughs> right? <laughs> because <they're, laughs> we could have made some movies out of them. But those are the kind of things that we we try to set aside and make sure that we mm-hmm. have some events and some times that are memories. Another one that we did was when Allison, my daughter, was young. 
we began to have Valentine parties where we would invite mother-daughters. And we started that when she was in about first grade, and we continued it until maybe eighth or ninth grade. And it was a mother-daughter party, and every year there would be a theme like um, wear a hat and tell us a story about a hat, or everybody bring your own teacup and tell us about your teacup. Mm-hmm. And and we learned so much about each other and got to have a great time uh, making all kinds of crazy cakes every year. We would try to make a cake that looked like a hat or a cake that looked like a teacup. And, and of course, some of them were disasters, but it was tons of fun. That's great. And and those types of traditions are things that are, are just embedded in Oh, yeah. And being a family. I'm sure. I'm sure they have great memories of that, too. Those are fun. Well, what about hospitality to other people, people outside the four walls of your house? I think this is a really important thing that we have not, um, or that we have kind of lost track of, and Mm -hmm. and I'll call it neighboring, even. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the Lord has placed us where we are with a purpose. Yeah. Um, And so I think what is important to me is to invite those people in and teach them that they have value. Yes. Um, whether we're having a Valentine party with six-year-olds, mm-hmm. we still use the fine china and they get a cup. And mm-hmm. whatever, whatever we're doing, we want people to come in and put their feet up and eat off of a fine plate and feel like they are being honored and value and being a part of our, who our family is. Yeah. And so that's something I think we really need to begin to get back into and teach. I know COVID has made a difference in that. It's made it a little bit more difficult. But COVID has also put us in a situation where we're spending more time at home. Mm-hmm. And what we found with that is that we actually have more time to be with some of the people in our community. Uh, for example, the single elderly lady that lives across the street and the storm happens. Who's going to help her with her broken windows? Or the disabled man that lives next door um, that um, we need to help feed. Yeah. Um, then those are the types of things that I think are are really important. In fact, some of those people have been part of our Thanksgiving celebrations. They're mm-hmm. invited and and pulled into that family too. And I, I, our house was always open for all the teens. Yeah. Um, some of my um, children's friends could just walk in the door and they would say, hi, mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, they wouldn't even knock. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was just that kind of a situation. And it it wanted it to be like big family gatherings Mm -hmm. um, as much as we could. Yeah. Yeah. Hospitality to other people is definitely a way that we can um, extend that welcome because so many people, they they are shocked when you invite them to something because- Mm -hmm. It's not something that we do often. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of people who are lonely and a lot of people who they're just amazed that you would invite them in and make them feel like a part of your family and just have that kind of sense of belonging and welcome. So, And I think it's very important, too, that, um, you know, we the Lord talks about meals a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important when we take those people and invite them into our family meals and make them feel feel a part of our family. and. It, those people may be someone that we're trying to reach out to, yeah, um, to help them understand who the Lord is as well. Yeah, and that's sometimes one of the things that uh, is makes them feel more welcome, more comfortable, mm-hmm. um, more able to to be a part of us. Yeah, it's great advice. I think it's also important that we make an effort to teach neighboring. Um, we. 
For a while, we had a friend across the street whose father moved in with him, and the friend worked, but the father had to stay at home, and he became ill at one point. Uh, We had already kind of developed a relationship with them, but my kids were young at that time. I would say about maybe 10 years old, um, and Mm -hmm. Austin was a toddler. And it became necessary for him to have a hot meal every lunch, and he wouldn't eat. So we began to go over there to help feed him and encourage him to eat. Mm -hmm. And so it was very, I think, encouraging for him to have a toddler and young children come over and help him every day. Sure. But um, at that point in time, whatever we were doing, whether it was homeschooling or, you know, going to a sports practice or whatever, had to stop to make sure that we had the opportunity to fix him a hot meal and go over there. Yeah. And that time may not have been very long in our life, but it was important. Mm-hmm. And I think it really taught that to the, to, to the children. To the, to the children. Yeah. That these people are as important as whatever you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. We will get back to Athena's story in just a few minutes. Right now, it is time for Historical Homemaker Hints. This is the part of the podcast where we highlight some of the helpful and not-so-helpful hints doled out to homemakers throughout history. Today, we are once again consulting our friend, Marion Mills Miller, and her 1910 publication, Practical Suggestions for Mother and Housewife. Some marriage advice. A woman should not expect to find a perfect husband. Indeed, her chief usefulness to him will be in her strengthening his weak points and cultivating his right inclinations until they are confirmed habits. Yet in this work, she should realize the imperfections of herself and respond to the similar aid he gives her by his example and suggestions. Mutual aid is the great bond of marriage as it is of all human relationships. Regarding children's breakfast foods, when the child reaches school age, a special care should be taken of his diet. He should not be allowed to have meat at breakfast except a little bacon with his eggs, one of which may be allowed a school-aged child when young, two when older. Well-cooked cereals such as oatmeal and cream of wheat should form the staple article of diet, though these may be varied by the ready-to-eat breakfast foods such as cornflakes. He should always have either sound fresh fruit or stewed fruit to eat with the cereal. His bread should always be toasted. Muffins are better for him than pancakes or waffles, which, however, should be allowed him occasionally as a treat. As this kind of breakfast largely consists of starchy foods, it should be eaten slowly, as starch requires thorough mastication. The practice of allowing children to lie late in bed and then gulp their breakfast down in a minute or so, in order not to be late to school, is most pernicious. And finally, how to remove stains from furniture. I'm sure she's talking about wood furniture here, although she doesn't distinguish that. Rub stains on furniture with cold-drawn linseed oil, then rub with alcohol. Remove ink stains with oxalic acid and water. Wash off with milk. A hot iron held over stains upon furniture will sometimes remove them. So um, I fact-checked this last one for you, and I found all kinds of tips for removing water stains from furniture, including using heat, as she suggested, with the iron. Now, if you listen to the last episode, you'll remember when she says iron in 1910, she means a literal hunk of cast iron that would be heated over an open flame, not the electric plug-in irons we have today. Now, fortunately, we don't have to do that. We can use a hairdryer set on medium to low heat to the very same effect. The idea being that the heat will draw the moisture out of the wood. But one thing that 
all of the Google searches agreed on is do not put alcohol on your wood furniture. Alcohol is a solvent and will strip away the upper layers of your furniture's finish, resulting in instant damage that can only be professionally repaired. As for the ink stain removal, I cannot speak to that except to say that oxalic acid is very toxic and probably should be left up to a professional who knows how to handle it safely. Well, that's it for today's historical homemaker hints. As always, please remember this segment is for entertainment purposes only, and I leave it to you, the listener, to determine the safety and soundness of this advice. Now back to Athena's story. So we'll talk a little bit now about the seasons in homemaking. How has your role as a homemaker changed over time? Oh, wow. Um, I think it's changed a lot of different ways. I mean, you mentioned earlier homemaking and hospitality for the family, and that includes your children Mm -hmm. versus homemaking and hospitality for others. And so when you go from a house full of kids to an empty nest, Mm -hmm. um, it changes in that way, Mm -hmm. but it still needs to be the, the hospitality and the value of others that's important. Yeah. So it, it, COVID has changed it in some way. Um, we really, really like having guests in our home, and mm-hmm. it's been hard not to. Yeah. So we're looking forward to doing that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, COVID has also given us opportunities that we might not have seen earlier. Sure. Right. So exactly. I think that's important too. Exactly. What was your most difficult transition in between the seasons of homemaking? Was it what was the hardest part for you bringing home that first baby or when the, when they, when they, le- when they left, um, what was the most challenging? Well, transition? you mentioned both of those okay. Allison, and I'm going <laughs> to jump on both of those. I don't know which one would be most difficult. Um, the first children we had were a set of twins, right? That was super challenging. <laughs> um, and a lot of people would ask me, well, how did you manage twins? And I go, well, you know, I never had one child to manage first. So I didn't know what that was like. Yeah. Uh, but now that I look back on it, I think that was, it was a very difficult change mm-hmm. to go from just the two of us to all of a sudden four of us. Yeah. Um, and especially, you know, young infants, it was hard, but then again, when the last one leaves, my youngest one left, that is a real big change too, because mm-hmm. I realized I had been training or teaching or driving people around for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden I'm not. Yeah. So yeah, that's a very big change. And you have to kind of reassess mm-hmm. um, where you are and what you're doing. I'm sure we have uh, ladies listening who have twins. Mm-hmm. So do you have any specific advice or, you know, what would you say to those young moms out there that have a set of twins or maybe a couple of sets? You will survive. (laughs) You will survive. And there are just incredible joys between um, the children, the twins. Mm -hmm. They will always have a relationship that I don't think even we moms will understand. Mm -hmm. And it's something very special and um, really needs to be stimulated between the two of them. But um, it's fun. In a lot of ways, it's difficult in a lot of ways. And in some ways, it's easier. It's almost easier to have two 18-month-olds than an 18-month-old and a newborn. Mm. And so there's some there's some beauty in that. And you have to kind of look for that beauty mm-hmm. and that positive and rest in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because there are days when it's not that simple. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. How do you feel like you're still fulfilling your role as a homemaker where you are right now in life? You've talked about um, the neighboring that mm-hmm. you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you're doing to to fulfill your role as a homemaker? 
Also, this is kind of a multi-part question. Are you still challenging yourself to grow and learn in your homemaking? And then how are you passing on what, what you've learned to others? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think outside of just the neighboring that we do, what doing at this age is we also have a guest house and we have turned that into a place for um, people who need a place to stay. Mm -hmm. And depending upon their story, we may be very involved with those people that are staying there. Right. We have missionaries come and stay a couple of months at a time when we provide respite for them and their families. Um, we actually rent it out on like VRBO mm-hmm. and get to meet some incredible people as well. And so I still feel like even though that's neighboring in a way, that's yeah. where those people are more a part of bringing them in. That's more a part of bringing them into our family. Sure. Um, but as far as challenging myself and growing and learning, I'm still working. Mm-hmm. And so I am still uh, constantly researching child development and mm-hmm. the current things that are going on in child development and the dangers that our children have now that they didn't used to have mm-hmm. um, and the ones that they don't have that you and I grew up with. And so gathering that information constantly is is a part of my teaching. Right. But the other thing that that's a part of it is it provides me with an opportunity to also have information to pass on to new moms. Sure. And so I do spend... Um, a good amount of time working with some moms that may have some questions about their children, about learning or development or mm-hmm. or that type of thing. Uh, in fact, I just yesterday met a new mom down the road who we happen to know each other from walking up and down the street, mm-hmm. um, got into a conversation. She has some questions about her child. And um, I went to visit with her yesterday and we began a relationship that I can tell is going to be a growing relationship mm-hmm. that began over some issues with her children. And so those are kind of the things that that I like to continue to do, Uh, as well as um, being in a discipleship group, Mm -hmm. um, mentoring some young moms, um, trying to give them some uh, picture, maybe a 30,000-foot view Mm -hmm. when they're down on the ground uh, and in the trenches, and helping them try to remember why they're there and why the Lord gave them those children and uh, how important that role is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys meet weekly or is that a couple times a month? Um, We've done both. We've met a couple of times a month. Mm -hmm. And then just recently we started meeting weekly and it just depends. Uh, We're having to do it on zoom. Mm -hmm. We are, um, you know, sometimes they're in the closet. Sometimes the kids (laughs) are asleep. They're not sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes we have Legos uh, participating with us, you know, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we do the best we can. Yeah, that's great. And I'm sure that you guys have seen fruit, not just in their lives, but in your life, being able to be a part of their lives. And it probably has, you've probably grown from that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've grown from that. I mean, I may say mentoring to them because I am mm-hmm. older, but mm-hmm. there is a whole lot of mentoring that they can mm-hmm. do with me too, because yeah. they are wise as well. Yeah. Um, and it's also an encouragement for me too to begin to to still have that opportunity to visit with them and the stages of life that their children are at, because mm-hmm. now my daughter has an eight-week-old, and it reminds me about all those stages and the, yes. the time to be able to spend with her and visit with her about that. Yeah, yeah, because you forget. You, f- you do forget. I got to spend the first two weeks um, with the infant, with my new grandson, and yes, I had forgotten how <laughs> little sleep. I actually <laughs> went 30 hours without sleep one time, and I thought, wow, did I do a lot of this? I must have. I had twins. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you do that when you're younger. That's right. Okay. So 
this is one of my favorite parts. We're going to do a little quick answer, a little rapid fire. You you can elaborate on your answers or not. You don't have to. You can just give me a quick one word or tell me a story if you want to about the tasks of homemaking. Okay. All right. So one task that you love. Just one. You can tell me more than one. Well, one I love is is decorating my home. Yes. I I just love it. I like for it doing it. I like for it to feel welcoming. I mm-hmm. want people to walk in and feel comfortable and um uh, and that's important to me, including my family. I want my husband to enjoy and yeah. be comforted here. Yeah. And so that's important to me. Um I love gardening mm-hmm. and that's kind of a part of it too. Mm-hmm. But gardening has has become a really special thing for me, almost a spiritual thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um I grow a few roses. Um not very well, I have to admit, but I grow some roses. And over the past few years, I've had a lot of trouble with bugs and insects and had to prune every single bloom off mm-hmm. and put them in a five-gallon bucket. And you look at a five-gallon bucket of blooms and you think, oh my goodness, what have I done? Mm-hmm. But as I'm beginning to to go through those roses and I'm pruning and I'm telling myself, well, now let's see, you need to take out uh, the canes that are too ingrown towards the middle. And you need to prune off these buds that haven't bloomed because it's best for the plant. Mm-hmm. I can hear the Lord telling me, mm-hmm. yes, you may be blooming in this area, but I'm going to prune you, prune you there mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Or don't grow in on yourself because mm-hmm. I will cut that out. Yeah. And it becomes a spiritual lesson for me yeah. as I go through and do that gardening. And so it's it's really relaxing. It's good to get dirty. Mm-hmm. And it's really good to to focus on those things. That's a great answer. All right. One you hate. Dishes. Dishes. You hate doing it. You love your dishes. I love my dishes. I you want somebody else to wash them. your dishes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about one that you grew to love? One that I grew to love. Um, I would say, it's kind of interesting. It used to be a task to be able to get all the kids to every place they needed to go. Mm-hmm. And I eventually grew to love driving the kids around. Yeah. Because... Um, it was a time when occasionally you would have one in the car with you, yes. and they were trapped, and they you could and you talk could to have them. conversations <laughs> with them. And so I have we have had some uh-huh. great conversations with our kids in the car, mm-hmm. and so I grew to love and look forward to some of that time. Yeah, um, I would drop the twins off for maybe uh, an activity, and Austin and I, he was two years old, and we would have time to ourselves mm-hmm. to go do something. Yeah. Um, or one of the twins was with me and we would have an opportunity to really have a conversation, a serious conversation. So I, I grew to love that. Yeah. And I missed it when it was gone. Yes. I, I'm not there yet. I don't miss it yet. <laughs> Cause you know, my, my youngest just is just now going to be moving to college in the fall. So yep. I'm sure I will grow to miss it. How about your worst homemaking fail? <laughs> well, um, there was a time in our lives where money was very, very short, mm-hmm. and we needed to make sure that we ate everything out of the pantry and didn't leave anything in there before we went back to the grocery store. So that I tried to make it a game for the children. Um, and there was one particular day that a young man was with us helping us uh, do something in the garden and invited him to stay for lunch and realized I really didn't have much of anything for lunch. Mm-hmm. So um, I found some macaroni mm-hmm. and a little bit of cheese. I thought I'd make homemade macaroni and cheese, Okay, but no milk. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, So and no <laughs> evaporated milk, mm. so um, no dry milk. So, well, we just used um, 
condensed sweet milk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so I cooked it up, not saying a word, oh, no. put it on the table with the, with the children and this young man. And every, that was the only thing we were eating. So everybody was eating and drinking and talking. And one of my children said, I said, said it's not very good, Mom. I said, I know, I know, I understand. I, I didn't only had sweetened condensed milk. I'm sorry. And he continued to eat. And finally, kind of a tear came to his eyes. And he said, Mom, do I really have to eat this? <laughs> and I said, no, you don't. Finally, everybody at the table said, oh, goodness, and put down their fork. Thank you. <laughs> It was that bad. It huh? was that bad. <laughs> I can't even imagine what the flavor profile would be of macaroni and cheese made with sweetened condensed milk. Oh, not good. Let me just tell you. Don't yeah. try it. Okay. Noted. I will not give that one a try. How about a memorable achievement in homemaking? You know, um, I think I'm going to go back to Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. That's a time of hospitality, a time of family a great time of cooking, a lot of uh, what we might call historical recipes that are uh-huh. still there that my mother and my grandmother had written on envelopes that my daughter still makes, yeah. um, traditions passed down, lots of sweet, sweet time with my sister-in-laws. Mm-hmm. Um, we created um, a tradition where uh, there was always a day for the the cousins to go do something special, and then a day for the moms to leave the kids and the sisters and sister-in-laws to all go do something on their own. And and it just became, it has become a very uh, strong pattern in yeah. both sides of our family. So it sounds like your Thanksgiving is a multi-day event. It's, it is. It's not just it a is. single day No, thing. no, everybody tries. So um, they will come in possibly on Tuesday night, sometimes on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and they leave on Sunday. Okay. So they stay for the whole weekend, and we have had... Um, as many as 30, I would say, is probably the most. Mm-hmm. We average around 20, and they're sleeping on the floor. I'm like, every bed and is they're full. Sleep, they're sleeping no on floor the space. floor. Yeah. Yeah, on the couches, mm-hmm. um, on chairs, in sleeping bags. Yeah. And actually, we used to put the kids in a tent out in the front yard. Oh, well, <laughs> so, you can do that here yeah. in, in November. It's yeah. pretty pleasant weather, so. And, and it's just wonderful. Cool. Great. Great achievement. Let's move into our last section, and we're going to reflect on the art of home. Mm. So how do you feel like homemaking is an art? It is an art. Like I mentioned before, it's, um, there's not a lot of science to it because there's not a lot of pre-programmed things that you can do in making a home. Mm-hmm. Making a home, to me, is understanding that you are spending a lifetime supporting other lives. Yeah. And I think it's important also to remember that it kind of needs to be a place of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about the Lord being full of truth and goodness and beauty, and we want there to be truth spoken in the home. Mm-hmm. We want to train in goodness and revel in goodness, and we want to be able to do it um, in beauty, which the Lord designed as well. Mm-hmm. And when we think about those things, it's it's a, it takes an art to be able to just focus on the pieces that the Lord has given you to pursue mm-hmm. and pursue those for others. Because I think the art of homemaking is really the art of serving for uh, serving others. Yeah. So in that serving, mm-hmm. we have to serve. Right. (laughs) And the serving can become kind of monotonous and mundane and, Mm -hmm. you know, could become drudgery. 
how, how do we find beauty in that instead? How do we protect our hearts from becoming jaded with the work that we're doing and instead look for beauty and find beauty in it? Uh, that's hard when you don't like to do dishes. <laughs> <laughs> it is there. It is. There are some difficult times. Yeah. Um, and I know that's true for everyone. But I used to have a poem on the wall that I would read over and over that had a lot of crayons on it and even my children's hands in crayons. Mm-hmm. And it said um, that which will really matter more, a happy child or a polished floor. Mm. And I had to remember as a young wife who would polish her floors all the time that polished floors were no longer really important. And that wasn't homemaking. Yeah. Um, so homemaking was a place for the children to feel safe, a place for the children to feel peace, a place for the family to feel rest. Mm-hmm. And if I could do that in the midst of all the toys and the dirt and the and the dirty laundry, then that was the important thing. Yeah. And there were, you know, of course, there's times that you just have to stop and do all that laundry and all those dishes and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suggest always having a window by your sink. That's what may, helped me make it through. Oh, that is a that is great. I, yes, if you can I love that. to I love to watch birds. I love to look at the flowers, and I could get through the sink. Yeah. Did you really polish your floors? I did. Oh my goodness. I I, I hate to admit this, Allison, but as a <laughs> as a young wife with no children, uh-huh. um, and an older home with a linoleum floor, I scrubbed it with a toothbrush. Oh goodness gracious! I did. Wow. I did. Yeah. I can't believe I did that, but I left that quickly once twins arrived. I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And let me just say, scrubbing the floor with a toothbrush is not important. <laughs> Definitely not. So in what ways do homemakers cultivate a sense of place and belonging in their homes? This has actually been a theme throughout our conversation, I it think. Has. It um, has. Is there anything else that you want to add to that that we didn't talk about? Well, um, if we can, I think if we can for our family, especially thinking about our children, if we can yeah. make it a place to belong, a place to refresh, a place that's safe, a bit of an anchor, mm-hmm. uh, then they will return with their families. Yeah. Uh, we will be able to maintain those relationships and um, be an anchor in the storm, gather as a family during storms and mm-hmm. problems and, and issues. And I think that that's, that's a, a big part of it. Um, I think it also helps teach one and the one another's. Yeah, the one another's, and it teaches them the one another's about their family, and because we all know that everybody in the family is not perfect, right? Right. So <laughs> we have to te- understand the one another's about family, and I think that also then helps them express those one another's for the neighbors and others. And for those who may not know what we're talking about, the one another's. We're referring to in scripture, all of these commands really that we are given um, about how to treat one another um, and love one another, and love one another, to be kind to one another, to serve one another, all the things that we've been talking about mm-hmm. here today. So we know that homemaking is valuable to us, to our families, our individual families. Um, but one of the things we're trying to do with this project is to elevate homemaking not just in the eyes of the homemaker, but in the eyes of society. How, how do you feel like homemaking is valuable to society, to communities? I think that, um, I think that a lot of 
people now feel a bit lost Mm -hmm. because home is not necessarily what we're describing right here, what it used to be, or even, Allison, what it was for our generation. Right. Um, Most people have um, two adults in the home working, children doing a lot of school and a lot of outside activities. Home may be a place that um, is just a time to to rest a little bit and get back up and get back into the flurry. Mm -hmm. And I think losing an anchor in home is is very detrimental to society. I think it makes people feel lost. I think it makes them feel unvalued, mm-hmm. or excuse me, makes them feel not valued. Yes. Um, and that it's not important to have those attachments. And then we begin to have more and more problems with um, people attaching to each other and developing deep friendships and developing deep relationships right. and, and doing the one another. Yeah. Were there any other closing thoughts that you had? Any advice you would want to give to a young mom who's listening or just anything? Mm -hmm. I think one thing I would like to say is um, don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. We American women um, feel like we have to be super women (laughs) and we have to be able to do it all. And we have to um, manage everything in a perfect manner. Mm -hmm. And we don't. And I think that we need to understand that that's not what the Lord expects of us. Mm-hmm. He expects us to love. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sitting sure. down and talking with us today. Lots of fun. It's been a good conversation. Thanks. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We hope you're leaving here inspired and encouraged to cultivate an embracing place through your practice of the art of home, a place where people feel like they belong and they can find an anchor amidst the storms of life. Before I let you go, I want to share some more information about Athena's program, Ready Bodies Learning Minds. As I said in the beginning of this episode, Athena travels all over the country training schools, therapists, and parents, and designing programs for children. These programs are based on the book she wrote about how all children develop and how that development might be the foundation for some of the academic problems we see in our children, whether they're developing typically or developing with special needs. So here's a little summary of some things from her website. Some children learn quickly and automatically, launching into the academic environment with fervor and joy. Their bodies and their brains learn at an incredible speed. Yet as they continue to grow and more is demanded of them, they slip and begin to have difficulty or even fail. Some children seem to have pervasive problems right from the start. The difficulty they feel in interpreting their environment clouds their ability to learn even the simplest concepts. They feel impending doom and failure when confronted with any task. It becomes apparent in both cases that their bodies do not have the strong foundation of fundamental skills necessary to transmit information needed by the brain in academic endeavors. Motor skills are necessary for a child to communicate, for example, in the form of writing, speaking, or keyboarding. Movement cannot be separated from knowing and understanding. Movement is part of what we remember as we learn. Movement also cannot be separated from accomplishments. It is a part of how we express what we have learned. So then she goes on to talk about how over the past 35 years, she spent time as a pediatric physical therapist, mostly in the school setting, and her heart would just ache watching children stumble and fail and fall through the cracks in the system. Seeing these very capable young kindergartners become very frustrated failures by the time they get to the third or the fourth grade, academically and behaviorally speaking. 
So she started searching and studying. And then as a mother of children who also had these same issues, she started to recognize a pattern in their struggles. And then she started sharing this knowledge and insight that she believed the Lord gave her with teachers and parents. And that is how Ready Bodies Living Minds was born. So I wanted to make sure that I gave you some more information because I know many of you have children this age Maybe you have grandchildren this age that could benefit from Athena's programs. It's very easy to find her. It's just readybodies.com. And we will have links to this website in the show notes below. And any other resources that we mentioned in today's episode are also available in the show notes and on our website, theartofhomepodcast.com. Also over on the website, you can take a peek into Athena's home and you do not want to miss this one. You guys, I talked a little bit about it in the episode. I love to go to Athena's home. It is just the most unique and unusual place that I have ever been to. If you love architectural salvage mixed with a hint of uh, old English cottage mixed with eclectic old books and library mixed with um, hunting taxidermy. I mean, I can't even describe to you how unique and eclectic her home is, but it's also, like I said, it's so elegant um, and very comfortable. So I tried to capture even just a little bit of that in the photos that I put on the blog, um, on the blog post for this particular episode. And I hope you'll get a sense of it. Maybe we'll have to go visit her again and do a video tour or something and post that up on the website. Um, It's really easy to find these snapshots. Just go over to the website and click on the blog post for this episode, Embracing Homemaking with Athena Odin. This is season two, episode three. Don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at the Art of Home Podcast. Be sure you spread the word. Share this episode with a homemaker you know needs some encouragement. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We welcome your questions and your comments. If you have anything you want to say, if you just want to drop us a line and say hello, or if you have some ideas about how we could improve the show, please, please reach out. Send us a note to contact at theartofhomepodcast.com. Until next time, keep practicing your art of making a home.